here is like the disclaimer. I wish I could put it on a billboard. There is not a human walking this planet that is regulated all the time. And that's not the goal. So it's not like you're going to do this work and then you get to a place where you're always regulated, where your kids are always regulated and everyone's always communicating kindly. That is not the goal. Thank goodness for repair. Like that, when we're looking at secure attachment, you want to form a secure attachment with your child. What they need to know is that they're allowed to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And we have tools for coming back together. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We are so excited to introduce today's guest, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Alyssa is an emotional development expert with a master's degree in early childhood education. She's the founder of Seed and Sew, which is an organization committed to getting parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise emotionally intelligent humans. And Alyssa is a mom herself. So we know that emotional intelligence, it's been such a hot parenting topic in our own households in the last couple of years. So we can't wait to learn more about it today with your expertise, Alyssa. Can you let our listeners know what led you to the work that you do and also why it's so important to you? Yeah. Hey, I'm excited to get to hang with you today. Thanks for having me on. So what led me here was like kind of a winding journey. I grew up as one of five kids in a small farm town in Western New York, and I wasn't raised in a household like I'm doing with my child now. Like this wasn't something I grew up experiencing. And as an adult, I was, I have a master's in early childhood ed and was doing work with the tiny humans and uh, co-created what's called the collaborative emotion processing method, CEP, C-E-P for short. And we were researching across the U.S. And as I was diving into this work with kids, I was like, oh man, I have a lot of work to do here. And just like building my toolbox alongside the kids. And as we were doing this and I was building my toolbox and developing the set method and, and then subsequently researching it, I, after the research was like, I want to bring this, I was teaching parenting groups at the time and like in person and was like, I want to bring this beyond the in-person and I want to reach more people with it because it was what I needed as a caregiver. It was what I needed as an adult. And it definitely was what I needed as a kid. And yeah, so that brought us to Seed and Sow and it has continued to evolve from there. And what I loved about your answer there is as adults, we have so much opportunity to grow ourselves in these areas where we're trying to grow our kids as well. So we're going to talk a lot today about emotional intelligence. And this word might sound familiar to you guys because it's gained some traction over the past couple of years. You might have heard it in your workplace or in personal development spaces. What we want to know, Alyssa, is what do people get correct? And also what do they get incorrect about what emotional intelligence is when it relates to raising kids and also what it is in adulthood. Um, we, when we're looking at emotional intelligence, it's four components, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, and social awareness. And the one that I see in our work 
that's the most lacking that people overlook the most is actually the most important. And it's self-awareness that we expect kids to build tools for self-regulation, for empathy, for these social skills, to be able to engage in a group, uh, to read a room, to connect with others, to regulate themselves. But in order to do any of that, we have to first have self-awareness. What's happening in my body? What am I feeling when it's building before it's erupting? Being able to get to know truly what's happening inside. You know, we use uh, oh, the words like I have butterflies in my stomach when we're talking about feeling nervous or excited, but we only really do that with nervous or excited. I want to do that with angry, with embarrassed, with disappointed, with sad, with calm, uh, with relaxed, with happy. I want to start to notice like, what does that actually feel like in my body so that I can tune into it so that I know like oh, that's what's going on for me because I can't regulate what I'm not aware of, whether you're a child or an adult. And so with kids, before I'm teaching them skills for coping and regulation, I'm starting with awareness, helping them tune into what's happening in their body, what I'm noticing, that their voice is getting louder, their shoulders are up to their ears, or their fists are so tight and helping them start to notice those cues so that they can tune into them and realize like, okay, that's how I know now that I have something to regulate, that I can turn to these other tools, but we have to start with that self-awareness. And that's often the one that's left off the table. And when you're able to ask that question out loud, it also shows to your child that you hear them, you see them, you're understanding what's happening in their bodies so that they can tune back into it. And just the ability to explore all emotions. I love what you said right there because, you know, the surprise, the excited, that those are the ones that can stand out right away. But what's beneath all the other human emotions that we're feeling? So this interview has already started off so, so well. And you mentioned right away in your first answer about your set method. So that collaborative emotion processing method. Can you tell us more about this method and also how it's used in helping children specifically? Yeah, for sure. So I was, as I said, master's in early ed. So I was working in the classroom and I started in like kindergarten. Well, I started in preschool, went to kindergarten and then worked my way back. I kept being like, oh, I wish I could have given these kids these skills when they were a toddler, these skills, and just kept getting younger and younger until I was an infant toddler and realized like for me, I see infant toddler as this incredible space where we often don't consider these skills and are so crucial for then like who this kid's going to be as a two, three, four year old and beyond or what skills they'll enter those phases with. Um, but so I was working in infant toddler and a colleague of mine was working in preschool pre-K and we were at a school, a child care center where you had to have a master's in early ed to be a teacher in the classroom, which is really rare. And we had the opportunity to do research. We were connected to a university. And so we were diving into like what we were doing and we kept looking, we had like a social emotional curriculum at our school and it didn't encompass everything we were doing and really everything that we needed. And so we kept looking for like, where is that thing in early ed that really talks about all of this? And it, we couldn't find it. And so we created it. We created the set method is five components. And, you know, folks often say that they come to us for their kids and they stay for themselves. And this really is because the set method is five components and one is adult child interactions. One is about what to say or do in the moment, how to connect with kids and help them build these skills. The other four are about us as the adult. What are, and there's our self-awareness, what's happening in our bodies. We just chatted about that. 
And then we have mirror neurons, this idea that the scientific knowledge behind what's happening on a neuroscience level, like what's happening when, you know, when a baby laughs and it's just my son the other night uh, at bath time, like got a case of the giggles and it's just infectious. It's the most delicious sound and like fills you with the giggles and just smiling, thinking about it. And the same thing happens though, when your kid's like melting down on aisle four in the grocery store, you start to melt down on aisle four as well. And so we're looking at that of like the ownership of our regulation and understanding that neuroscience. And then we go into uncovering implicit bias. So here we're looking at that social programming. What did we experience in our childhood? Were there certain ages that we were expected to stop expressing or maybe stop crying? Maybe there were certain emotions that were allowed while others were not. Um, in my house, I one of the things I experienced a lot of was being labeled as dramatic or emotional. And those feelings and uh, the emotions that were expressed in that way that were perceived as dramatic or emotional were not welcome. They weren't, it wasn't a safe space for them. And so I learned how to shut them down, how to keep those ones quiet and, and push them down to then come out in gnarly ways later. And so looking at like, what is all of that that we carry from our childhood, diving deep into that, because that when we're talking about kids triggering us, that's what we're really looking at is what's coming up from our past. Um, and then the last one is super buzzwordy, but so important in its self-care. How do we take care of our nervous system? And for us, this isn't necessarily a weekend away or a night out. It's, are you drinking enough water? Just before we came into this interview, I was saying I got stuck in meetings that ran late and I chose to be two minutes late to this interview so that I could fill my water and grab a bite to eat to take care of my nervous system because I know I will show up here in a more regulated state and then subsequently after with my child in a more regulated state if I do that. And it's a, it's a choice we have to make all day long to take care of ourselves. Mm, I think that last one, especially is speaking super loudly to people. We always try to tell our, our audience, it is about the water. It is about sleeping as much as you can sleep, whatever season you're in. It is these little things that equal self-care. Mm -hmm. So you said yourself, you worked in early childhood education. And one thing that we wanted to know is what do early childhood educators really want parents to know when it comes to their kids' emotional intelligence? Yeah. Yeah. So I love working with early educators. We have a professional development program for them and we pair parents with this, like we bring educators and parents together in this work because it is so crucial for us to be on the same page. And what I, what I feel like I, as an early childhood educator wanted parents to know was that it's okay for your kids to feel like I, and I, I would tell my parents at the beginning of the school year, we would come together. I, I like to do home visits. So I'd go to their house and, and visit with them and get to know them in their space and let them know, like, here's what to expect at school. You might come to drop off and see that there's a child crying and it might even look like we're not tending to that kid. I'm never going to stop a child from feeling for my comfort. Like it's not my number one choice that a child's crying right now. It's really hard to be around another dysregulated human because of those mirror neurons we were talking about. And I'm going to work on my regulation so that I can show up with intention with those kids. And 
for childcare, you know, you're seeing so many kids, there's so much stimuli, there are going to be these big emotions. And I had a parent once who was dropping off and she was like, oh my gosh, how do you get my kid to do X, Y, and Z? And I was like, oh, she does it with big emotions all day. Like, it's not like, she's like, okay, Alyssa, thanks for setting that boundary. I can't wait to follow it. She's going to push back. And I am, my number one priority is allowing her to feel those and providing a safe space for her to express them, which means not shutting down feelings. And I think so often in early ed, there's this fear when parents walk into a room that they're going to see a child crying or um, that, you know, there's going to be the kid who's hitting or biting or I, and I think that it's harder to be the parent of the child who is hitting or biting than to be the parent of the child who's been bitten. Um, and I've been both, but I, I think letting them know like all of these things, like your children being humans is what we're expecting. It's normal. And you aren't failing it as a parent. If your kid is having big emotions, if they are turning to certain behaviors in the moment, because that's what they have access to in the moment, we're all going to work on this together. Let's go into more detail on this specifically, because we know that one of the hardest parts about helping kids with their own emotions is keeping ourselves together. <laughs> like, and you've said it that a crying child, it dysregulates an adult's nervous system. So explain how this happens and then what we can do as parents, as caregivers, as teachers in the moment when our kids' big emotions dysregulate our own nervous system. Totally. So as we talked about with that, like your kids crying in aisle four, yeah. you're also inside melting in aisle four, your body mirrors. It. It's called mirror neurons. Your body's going to mirror that it's, you know, when you walk into the room and you can like feel the energy where you're like, mm -hmm. Oh, mm, okay. Uh, somebody just the other day walked into a friend's house and she and her wife had just had an argument. I didn't know I was walking into this conflict and I walked in and you could just like feel the conflict in the air. You can feel that energy and afterwards she was like oh my gosh and then like unloaded and we got to connect but you can feel it you can feel that energy and really what we're saying there is uh my nervous system is responding based off of your nervous system it's reacting to yours and what we can do as the adult is to start to notice those things. I said self-awareness is key for all of us. Start to notice what it feels like when it's building. For me, I notice when I'm feeling angry, usually my chest will get tight. I'll get a little sweaty. My fists get tight and my shoulders go up to my ears. Whereas like if I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling anxious, I'll get sweaty. I'll get clammy. I feel like I can't sit down. Like I can't can't pause. So I'll feel like kind of like busy and starting to notice like, what are those cues for you? Because you can't regulate what you're not aware of. And so often we're asking kids to do this. We're saying we want them to get calm for us. And it, we see it as our job to get calm for them, but it starts with us noticing what it feels like when it's building, when we aren't feeling calm in our bodies anymore and being able to tap into that. And then it feels so annoying because it's so, it feels so simple, but your breath is the fastest way to regulate. It's the most accessible. So often we can't walk away from the child. We can't leave the room. We can't want to, what you can do is breathe. And I will just say to the kids, like, I'll get big with them. Usually like, oh my goodness. Wow. I'm feeling really frustrated right now. Or my body feels out of control. I'm going to pause and take some deep breaths and then I can help you. 
Sometimes they're screaming while I say that most of the time they're screaming while I say that. And then I'm going to literally pause. I might be holding somebody's hand. Sometimes I'm holding a child and I'm just breathing. I will do it audibly. So I'll take a deep breath and I'll say one, and then I'll take a deep breath and I'll say two, and I'll do five deep breaths. And often what is going to happen is that just in the way that I was mirroring their nervous system before theirs is going to start to mirror mine. So I'm going to literally bring the calm and you don't have to get to a place where you're like, I feel like I just left the spa. Like I'm totally Zen right now. That's not the goal. You're not going to be like, I'm the most calm I've ever felt. What you're looking for here is that you are calm enough to be able to be their um, compass here, to be able to lead them and be responsible for that energy instead of them getting calm for you so that then they're responsible for the energy. Mm, That was really interesting because sometimes when our kids are dysregulated, I'll coach them to take a deep breath and they'll say, I can't take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm getting out of that answer is like, actually, I need to do it myself and Mm -hmm. kind of show them the way so that they're able to do it too. Also want to float another thing past you. So Mm -hmm. one of my things that I'm really working on is it's not like the first couple tough moments of the night, you know, 5 Mm p.m. I'm good, 6 p.m. I'm good, 7 p.m. I'm good. All of a sudden at bedtime, maybe it's Mm -hmm. like that last thing that I find to be so triggering. And that's where, you know, one thing that I lean towards is I might yell when it's just the end of the night. So I'm really trying to figure out a strategy where I don't get to that place. And I'm wondering if you can coach people because for a lot of us, it's like, I was, I had a great night. And then it's just that one last reaction that you're like, shoot. And I know for our listeners, that's something that they can really dwell on. Of course. Yeah. It's such a hard way to end the night and we've all been there and you're not failing. If you get there, if you're finding that it's a trend for you, that you're getting there also cheers. If you're not losing it until 8 PM, because I've lost it well before 8 PM many days. So cheers to that. That's a feat in and of itself. But I would start to look at that pattern and say, when we look at sensory in information. So I'm going to get a little nerdy with you here. When we're going through the day, our brain's job is to keep us safe. And so it's constantly looking around us to say, is that important? Do I have to pay attention to it? Essentially, am I safe? Like a car drives by my brain's processing that information and saying, nope, not important. Don't pay attention to it. If the fire alarm goes off in my house, my brain says that's important. Pay attention to it. You're not safe. And it's doing this like, like an app running on your phone in the background all day long, draining your battery. This is happening all day long, draining your battery. And so we want to pour into the nervous system all throughout the day. This is the self-care part. This is where we are resting. We're eating, we're nourishing our body. We're giving ourselves water. We're taking breaks and we're popping into movement. Uh, The bulk of our work at seed is separating sensory regulation, which is that nervous system regulation I'm talking about right now from emotional regulation. We can't regulate our emotions when our nervous system is dysregulated. And so in the same way that if you had a kid who was hangry, 
I wouldn't be like popping down and talking to them about their feelings right now. No, I'd get food in their body. If they were tired, I wouldn't be focused on emotion processing. I would be helping them get sleep. And the same thing for us as adults, we have a rule in our household where like, if one of us is hangry or just like under-resourced, we're tired and we don't have access to sleep yet, that we can say like, I'm not in a place to have that conversation right now. And it just means like, I'm under-resourced. I, my brain can't do that higher level thinking. And when we are going throughout the day, one of the biggest ways to pour into this nervous system of ours is movement. And we're looking at two categories here. One's moving the plane of your head, like going upside down or swinging, or my husband sits in a chair that can like bounce at work so they can get a little rocking. Thinking of kids um, on like swings, we'll get that same input. And then big body play. So this could be jumping jacks. It could be getting a tight squeeze or a hug. Uh, and this one's called perceptive input. We need that about every 90 minutes to two hours throughout the day. So what often happens is at the end of the day, there are so many transitions. We're going from like dinner to bath to bedtime to like all these different things that are happening. And we're also getting more and more under-resourced when it comes to sleep. We're getting more and more tired. And as this is happening, we want to make sure we are pouring into what we call our sensory bank so that there's something to pull from as those withdrawals happen. We're going to have those transitions. We are going to going to get more tired. We want to make sure that we are carving out little bits, like I'm going to do 10 jumping jacks, or I'm going to play a game with my kids where for... 30 seconds, we end up in a tight squeeze or a hug, or they roll, I roll them up into a blanket, like a burrito. And then they roll me up into a blanket, like a burrito for a tight snuggle. I'm, I'm going to incorporate it right into our everyday. It's not something you have to like carve out special. I'm going to build it into our play, but making sure that we're getting some of those deposits, some of that movement in, uh, will be huge for us having reserves to pull from, to navigate bedtime. Oh, I like this because as adults, we're all so different too. So right after my workday, I work out and then I go get my kids and I feel really great. My husband struggles with the very beginning after daycare portion and I struggle with the bedtime portion. So I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm like, I think we could change a couple things to kind of play to our strengths and also how our day goes. Yeah. Um, to, to make some improvements. Cause it's like, we both know our trends, but right. we just keep trending. Well, and that, that workout is great. And then you still need more deposits. You know, I think of it like meals where we're not like, well, I ate breakfast today, so I'm good. <laughs> we eat breakfast and we have a snack and then lunch and a snack and then dinner. And we want to do the same thing with movement that like a workout's awesome. And it's like a meal. And then we're going to want to snack in a little bit. Right. So like, then you're going to build in some more movement before that bedtime comes. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As we're talking about in today's episode, a lot of parenting is healing our own journey of how we were parented. This is something that I worked with my BetterHelp therapist on for over a year, just understanding why certain things come up for me in parenting and why certain things feel really hard. It was really her prompting me to answer these questions so that I could understand myself better. So I know we're saying it in the episode, but it really is true. Sometimes you have to figure out your own stuff before you're able to show up as the parent that you want to be. 
So if this is something that you've been wanting to try, you can use our friends over at BetterHelp. And with our discount, you'll get 10% off your first month. You can go to BetterHelp, that's better, H-E-L-P.com slash herself for 10% off your first month. And you can join the over 2 million people that use their services. Well, what would you say every 90 minutes to two hours? Mm -hmm. Amy and I are really good about getting up and going for walks together. We get up and go around the office, but I know some jobs like Colin's job, for instance, he will sit for hours until he has to get up to use the restroom or to eat. Mm -hmm. And other than that, he's not doing that. So there's, there's times at night where, and I do the same thing. So it's not just Colin, it's not just our partners, but he'll react in a way that's, let's say a little bit less emotionally intelligent than I would in that exact instance. So when it's our own partner who maybe yells at the kids, raises his or her voice, you know, acts in a way that we're like, ooh, you know, hey, calm down. How can we figure this out together? Like how I can feel so stuck when this happens, when I want to correct their interaction, but I also don't want to lead into any conflict with my partner in front of our kids, especially. So in these moments, what can we do to nurture our child while also not undermining the boundary that our partner is trying to hold? Yeah. So actually most of this work's going to come from outside of these moments. And then we'll talk about how to bring that into the moment outside of the moment. When we're in a regulated state, this is where we're having conversation with our partner to say, Hey, sometimes I'm losing my cool with the kids. Sometimes you're losing your cool with the kids. We need like a phrase that we can say to one another when we notice that person might need to tap out or when we notice that we might need to tap out for a minute. And just, even if it is just a minute or to say like, I'm not on right now, that's ours in my household is either I need a break or I'm not on right now. Those are the ones that like feel accessible to us. Just this morning, my child was up a couple times last night. We've got a couple teeth coming in. I started the day under resourced and this morning by not even eight o'clock, maybe seven 45, the like whining was grating at me. And I realized like, I need a minute. And he was in my arms and I just turned to my husband. I said, I'm not on right now. And he reached over and he grabbed him and he tapped in and I popped away and just like my child cried when I handed him off and I walked away still and calmed myself and took some deep breaths and literally just like, I will, this is like a joke in seed, but I will go into a bathroom and like do 10 jumping jacks. Like I will just pour into it in my, whatever arena I can, um, And then came back out and was like, all right, now I'm ready to kind of step back in and respond with a little more intention, et cetera. Uh, But coming up with those phrases outside the moment and not just, hey, I noticed you are often dysregulated and you might need this safe phrase, but like, I need it too sometimes. And I want you to tap in. Um, Just the other day, I said to my husband, like, do you need a break for a minute? Because sometimes we're in it and we can't see it, right? Like we aren't noticing what's happening in our body. And um, he, my son had said some, done something and my husband like jumped in with a boundary that isn't usually a boundary we would set in that moment and kind of in like a snappy tone. And I was like, all right. Uh, and I was like, do you need a break for a minute? And at first he like looked at me and I was like, you can take one. I can step in. And my tone there is going to be huge. I'm not like, um, hi, do you need a break? <laughs> my tone there is going to play a big role in whether or not his nervous system feels safe and letting him know like, yeah, you can step away. Um, and so that's what we do. We had, but we had that conversation outside the moment and then pulling it into the moment of like using those phrases, using those words to tap each other out. And then ultimately, if it 
there are some times where he's going to set a boundary that is not the boundary that I would set in that moment. And for me, it comes back to values. Is this something that is like true part of my core values? Or is this something where like, we can have that conversation later. I can say, Oh, I heard dad say X, Y, and Z. Like I'm going to hold that boundary. I might still have him tap out or ask if he wants to tap out, letting him know, like, I'll hold the boundary that you set here. Um, but if you need a minute to regulate, and then we come back together later and say like, Hey, talk to me about this boundary earlier. Like, what was your goal? Because at the end of the day, so often we have the same goals as our partners. And so I'll come back to that later and we'll, we'll connect. We just, we do like a little debrief. Uh, I call it where the wheels came off the bus for the day. At the end of the day, that's like a five minute check-in of where did the wheels come off the bus? Is there anything that we need to address or bring up? Or, you know, I, and sometimes he'll say like, tell me more about why you did this. Or like, I want to learn about this. And sometimes it's me saying, tell me more about that boundary. What was your goal there? And then we can have that conversation and I can share like, here's what didn't feel right for me uh, in that moment, or here's where I want to take that if that feels okay. Alyssa, I love those conversations that you have with your partner. I think one thing that comes up for our listeners is they often don't have that same type of buy-in from their partner. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot from our listeners. I'm listening to Alyssa. I'm listening to Dr. Becky. I'm listening to all these podcasts that you guys have and my partner isn't. And so mm -hmm. they're just coming from maybe the way that they were raised or, you know, whatever their parenting beliefs are and how they want to discipline or set, set boundaries. I'm wondering, do you have any advice for getting your partner to buy in a little bit more? Do you guys see a lot of men totally. consuming your education? Like, is there anywhere <laughs> you point dads that some of whom can be a little resistant to this newer form of parenting? Yeah, for sure. So uh, first of all, I think we do men a disservice in that a lot of the men that we are surrounded by today were not raised in a culture where their feelings were welcomed. And now we want them to be dads who are welcoming feelings. And we talked about how so much of this work is, is us as the adult. And I, I want to have compassion for that. I first, there are two avenues here. One, if you're looking for more buy-in and then the other one is and I want to throw this out there. It's okay if your partner is not like the emotion, emotionally safe person for your kids to break down to. Brene Brown has some really cool research around secure attachment and uh, looking at what we really need. Every human needs one person that they can break down to who they feel safe turning to with their hard stuff. And if you think about yourself as an adult, maybe you have one, maybe two. It's rare that you have multiple people that you can turn to with all of your messy, hard stuff to be vulnerable with who can show up in an emotionally supportive way. We really need one human. And so it's a bonus if we get two or max three, I would say for most people that that would be like, whoa. But if you have a partner who at the end of the day is like, no, I'm going to parent a little differently or these boundaries are going to be different. What's going to happen is your kid's just going to learn who they can turn to for what, that you are their safe person who can handle their hard stuff and that your partner isn't. And that that's okay. It might mean doing a little emotion processing for us as the adult around, like, I really wanted my kid to have this in their 
and my partner and their dad or in their mom or whomever, and they aren't going to have that. Uh, but it's okay. You're not, you, it's enough for you to do this and to not have your partner do it. So that little disclaimer. And then if you did want more buy-in, my favorite thing here is curiosity. Again, like I said, often we do actually have the same goals um, and we can get just curious with our partners, both goals and fears. I did a workshop just for dads a couple of years ago, right before COVID. And it was very interesting because I, it sold out in four seconds, like immediately. And we were like, cool, that's awesome. There are a bunch of dads interested in this. And then this thing happened where like the week leading up to the workshop for the first time ever, I've been presenting this for years for the first time ever. I had female partners reaching out to me via email saying, Hey, my husband's coming to your workshop next week. And, you know, can you just make sure to cover X, Y, and Z? Uh, and, and sharing. And I was like, can you imagine like never in the history of doing this? Have I had a dad reach out and be like, Hey, my wife's coming to your workshop next week. And here are her like trouble areas, right? Like here's what she needs to work on. And I was like, come on, (laughs) you know, like we, they're coming, they're showing up. What we realized was so many of these dads were coming because they were being asked to go. And we had an awesome workshop. They were so engaged and it was incredible. And like, there was a line out the door afterwards, to just like stay and continue to ask questions and engage. It was awesome. And one of the coolest parts of that workshop for me was I, I asked them like, all right, we've talked about this approach. What are your fears? And it was quiet for a minute. And people then started like one person raised their hand and they were like, I'm afraid that my kid's going to get bullied if they're crying in school. And we got to dive into this. Like, yeah, that makes total sense. If you grew up in a culture where if you were six years old and crying in school, you were going to get bullied. It makes sense to want to protect your kid from that. Like, I get that. And so then we could dive into it. Like, but it starts with saying what are your fears and getting curious about where they're coming from? And then what are your goals? What skills do you want this child to have when they become an adult and diving into those like broader conversations, because then we can go from there down to the nitty gritty of like, yeah, let's talk about how we actually build those skills. Like I know that I want my child to learn to read at some point. I also know that I don't have the skill set to teach them right now. Like I'm going to have to learn things to know like how to best support my kid and how to learn to read. And I think when we have these conversations on that broader perspective, whether it's with grandparents or with partners to say, yeah, what are your goals and what are your fears? Then we can backtrack to how do we get there? What does it look like to get there? And it's going to be a constant revisiting of like, oh yeah, that fear is coming up here now. Um, What do we do about that? What does that look like for us as adults to navigate? Let's take a quick break from our podcast partner, which is Gooder Sunglasses. It's been so fun seeing your tags online with your purchases of the Gooder Shades. I even just put in a brand new order, so I had a few on stock. I like having a few in my car, some at the office for my midday walks with Amy, as well as one in my purse. Of course, I added on the Amelia Earhart Ghosted Me. These are a staple in my wardrobe. I wear them any chance that I can get. For Colin, I put in a back nine blackout, as well as a ginger sole. These are great because they're unisex, so I can wear Collins and he can wear mine, and they just have been so great with the no-slip grip, wearing them from boating to running to even just running errands. So if you want to get your first pair of Gooder Shades or stock up on a few more, make sure to use Herself15 at checkout. So that's Gooder, G 
com backslash herself and use code herself15 when you check out. That will save you 15% on your very first pair. We can't wait to see what you choose. Now, back to our show. I really appreciated that answer because I think it met a lot of people where they are. I wanted to hold space for the people that feel a lot of pressure because I know sometimes Mm -hmm. when you feel like you're the one that has to be good at this skill because your partner isn't or they're not willing to change like I I do think that's one of the areas where moms right now feel a lot of pressure and um, I just want to hold space for that yeah totally and you don't have to be perfect there's not a huge okay here is like the disclaimer I wish I could put it on a billboard there is not a human walking this planet that is regulated all the time. And that's not the goal. So it's not like you're going to do this work and then you get to a place where you're always regulated, where your kids are always regulated and everyone's always communicating kindly. That is not the goal. Thank goodness for repair. Like when we're looking at secure attachment, you want to form a secure attachment with your child. What they need to know is that they're allowed to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And we have tools for coming back together that no matter what mistakes they make, you're going to love them and we're going to come back together. And this is going to happen a lot through modeling by you dropping the ball, by you making mistakes, by you having dysregulated moments and coming back and being like, oh my goodness. When we were coming in from outside and carrying all the groceries in, I was feeling really overwhelmed and I was nervous. You were going to run into the street when you were running away. And I screamed and I saw that I scared you. I am going to take a deep breath and we can figure this out together. And then we can come back and revisit those things. Like we can have those conversations. We can keep coming back to it. We can apologize for our mistakes. Doing this work, being that safe space in no way means perfection. In fact, if you're striving for for perfection, we often are not forming a secure attachment. Thank you for that answer (laughs) completely. And for people in the audience who are listening, I mean, Alyssa, you have even said over and over again that you have made these mistakes and you come back for that repair. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't have a master's degree in this, we can make (laughs) those mistakes and we can learn from them and come back even better. So we have touched on so much in this interview and we could honestly have a million more questions for you, but let's end with this phrase, it takes a village. Like we've all heard it when it comes to parenting. We know Mm -hmm. that accepting help in raising our families, it's very important, but we also know that we're either not asking for the help or we're not accepting it. And you emphasize how important this village is. So can you share with our listeners many of whom are in the thick of parenting little tiny kids. What are your reasons for bringing this village back? Yeah, well, same. I mean, I'm also in the thick of raising Mm -hmm. young, tiny humans and I get it. It's exhausting and it's hard and it's 24 seven. It's nonstop. And, you know, I said to somebody the other day, like, I truly believe at my core that I'm a good parent and still every single day I question the day-to-day decisions. You're making so many choices for these kids all the time. And to do that in isolation, to do that just in your brain or in your mind, or to feel the sole weight of that is overwhelming. And so the village for me shows up in so many different forms. And Sometimes it's going to be your childcare providers that I know for myself as a working parent, especially having navigated being a working parent in COVID, that 
I can't show up as my best self at work or my best self as a parent or a partner or for myself when I'm trying to work without childcare. That for me was like a, oh, that is a crucial village member for me. Um, and looking around and saying like, maybe sometimes your village members are, I was just chatting with my friend Bryce, a mom brain therapist on Instagram. If you don't follow her, she's a great follow. And she was saying that they like, made conscious choices to like stretch their budget and not everyone has the privilege to do this, but to hire a house cleaner because that needed to be a village member for her in this season of having a newborn as a third kid, et cetera. And just looking at like, what, are, what does this look like in, in our day to day? Who is it? Maybe it's even just someone to text to say like, I'm not alone in this. Dr. Becky has a beautiful membership um, for parents and like a great village connection there to be able to say, I'm not alone in this. There are people to lean on, to come together and, and do this work with. And that's our goal. When we, in our seed certification, I was talking about with the teachers, we have a community similar to Becky's for um, parents. We have one for teachers, early childhood educators to lean on each other. And then we, every parent in that school gets access to our tiny humans, big emotions program. Again, just trying to bring everyone together to lean on each other for this work. I think you're absolutely right though. Like it a takes us saying, I'm not supposed to do it all. I don't have to do it all. And asking for help isn't a failure. I, even if it's help to tap out, you know, saying like, oh, I do need a minute. I need to step away. And I'm not failing for having to do that. Uh, I, I, I think social media is a huge part of it. We see, we scroll and it looks like everyone has it together and what you're not seeing. Like I didn't pull out my phone and record when I want to lose it on my kid this morning for whining and had to step away and come back to my partner. Like I wasn't like, Oh, let me record this moment and share it on social media. Um, and so you're not seeing those you're seeing highlight reels or you're seeing someone who looks put together. And I think it's so key to recognize, I think this is something that's missing as we've moved to like curated play dates and whatever that like we lost the popping into someone's house or over to their backyard and seeing the mess, seeing the parent losing their cool or the house that actually looks like a house that people live in and where there's stuff on the ground and toys that are pulled out and dishes in the sink and whatever. And just knowing that it does look like that. And your friend's houses look like that. And the people you're following on social media, like their lives look like this too. And you're not failing if it's messy. It is for all of us. I really appreciated that answer because I was telling Abby earlier when we were talking, I've seen a lot of these reels and things where people are like, okay, when is the village coming? Like, do they just show up? What's happening? And Abby and I really have the approach of like, no, you build it. Like yeah. that really, you go out. My husband and I are very conscious of making friends inside of our own town that have kids because we feel a lot better when we have a family over on a Saturday night and we're doing mm -hmm. parenting in community. So for us, that's a, that's a important part of our village. So I know that it can be hard during this time to kind of figure out what your village looks like or to feel like that's another thing on your to-do list. But at the same time, I just think it makes parenting so much better when mm -hmm. you figure out okay what is available to me we we will all have different things available to us what's available to me and how do i go out and make that happen 
Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I actually just moved to a new neighborhood in March. And one of the things that we started was it's called summer Thursdays. Every Thursday we share a backyard with like a home childcare provider. And so I connected with them right away and, um, and just got to know like them a little bit, the families a little bit that come there. And I, I was literally like every Thursday we'll kick on the grill. We'll throw out a cooler with some ice in it bring your own beverage, bring your own dinner. If you want to pop stuff on the grill, go ahead. If you want to bring takeout, go ahead and just hang. And the kids play and adults hang. And it's not like a beautiful picnic. There's meltdowns. There's the very first one, a kid screaming who had a sunburn and ended up in my bathtub upstairs. Like it is just like real and raw. And it for me was community, but also letting everyone else see the mess that like, yeah, when we're all together in an unstructured way, rather than like we have a play date from one to three, it, when it, when it can be real, I think we yes. get to see like, we're not alone, you know? Yes. The, the real and the raw, like Abby and I always say, like, it feels better to do it together mm-hmm. than to do it apart. So Alyssa, we've enjoyed this interview so much. I would love it if you let everyone know where they can find more of you. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always jazzed to chat about this. Um, I am at seed.and.so, S-E-W on Instagram. And seedandso.org is like the mothership. There's a tab for parents, teachers, providers, et cetera, that'll take you to the correct resources for you. Um, We have Voices of Your Village podcast with 200 episodes of resources and tools and um yeah, bringing that village to you with all different voices. Um, yeah, I feel like those are probably the main hubs to find us. And thank you so much for hanging out with me. Well, thank you again, Alyssa. Your resources are so helpful. And for those listening, if you love this episode, please share it in your Instagram story and tag both Seed and So, as well as Herself Podcast with what you learned from Alyssa today. Thanks again. Thanks again.